So, Racer Magazine's very own Paul Fanner, if you could describe our breakfast together in one word, what would it be? Enthralling. There it is. That works. And then the music cues. And the Which we still haven't picked out. Yeah, we haven't even started that yeah. part of the deal yet. I like Ride of the Valkyries. Uh, can we yeah. get that? I'm pretty sure licensing <laughs> might be a challenge <laughs> on that one. How about Muskrat Love? If I was born in the 20s, I would know. <laughs> <laughs> and now for Dinner with Racers, presented by Continental Tire. With your hosts, Ryan Eversley and Sean Heckman. Placeholder Radio. And Dinner with Racers continues. I am Sean Heckman. And I am Ryan Eversley. And uh, welcome to our little podcast series. Uh, we are wrapping up our travels across the country as we speak. We are a couple hundred miles outside of Atlanta, somewhere in northern Florida. That's right. And uh, what, what's the car that we're in? We are in my Acura MDX. Interesting. And I feel like the car might be on Continental Tires. It is on Weird. Continental Tires. So anyway, we are uh, wrapping up a 30-day road trip that went uh, how many miles on there? 8,000 miles yeah. across 20 states. Wow. All to meet up with about 27 of what we thought would be interesting people in racing That's right. uh, that we in turn give to you for free and then you shit on. And make fun of us on Twitter. So. Next in our list uh, is a guy who I don't understand why he would take the time to meet with us. Oh, but, who is this? Uh, Paul Fanner. Oh, yeah. True gentleman. Uh, so Paul Fanner, uh, if you don't know who he is, is a, a truly successful business guy within the sport. Uh, currently running Racer Magazine and Racer.com, but uh, between that and his company, Fanner Communications, has been a player in the sport for a long time. Not a celebrity, not a driver, not a team owner, but a guy who has kind of been in touch with every facet of the sport for, for decades. So we thought it'd be cool to meet up with him. We were in Southern California anyway. So Paul Fanner uh, has a lot of insight. Uh, anything you learned from him? I was really impressed by his knowledge of the sport and then the way he looked at different things. Totally gave me a different direction to think about stuff inside from the business. And then uh, he also talked about his driver coach, which was uh, Mike Hull from Chip Ganassi Racing. Really cool to get some insight on him as well. A lot of cool stories, really good sense of humor, really interesting guy to talk to, and, and good for you to know kind of some of the people behind the scenes that really make the sport work. So we went down to uh, Tustin, California in Orange County. Yeah, I had the, what was the name the of the restaurant? Citrus Cafe. The Citrus Cafe, really cool place. I had the California fruit bowl with granola. I had a chicken sandwich. And we had a delightful conversation, which you can hear now, courtesy of Continental Tire. Meow. All right, we're going to start in five, four, three, two. Hey, Paul, how are you? It's good to see you. Hey, nice to see you. Grab a headset. And then you will want to, there's a mic on your right there, and you want to kind of pull that down and then kind of angle it towards your, towards your mouth. Okay, right I feel you. like Roger Penske. Yeah. <laughs> Minus the money. So we're driving in, and uh, uh, you know, there's plenty of things that we can all talk about. But I think the uh, <laughs> number one thing on our mind was we were we were uh, there was a new article that was just posted on Racer Today about a, a, 
a new appointee at IndyCar. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, we weren't on the first forum comment, and it was already starting to go downhill. Yeah. Uh, and that made us think of my absolute favorite racer article that was ever posted. Not because the article itself. The article itself was very mundane. Um, it was about the banquet for this year's uh, IndyCar finale. Yes, yes. And <laughs> we're not one comment in, and it just immediately went to hell about a banquet that no one was going to. Uh, this is something that's come up actually in a couple interviews and, mm-hmm. and over conversation with Sean and I because mm-hmm. he he really thinks this is I mean and I, I agree I actually looked nuts. it up today for the first time yeah. and uh, of course you were right but the first like real comment is a uh, typical IndyCar they're too big for their britches I think people in San Francisco actually care about a banquet <laughs> it's like, let it go man <laughs> well what I love is the eternal optimism and positivity <laughs> right right. <laughs> That's what the internet's known for. <laughs> yeah, well, especially the <laughs> our forums. Um. Yeah, it's a well. Here we've, we've got it right here. Like, what is the very first forum comment that comes up on an article about the IndyCar banquet? Which, you know, keep in mind, a banquet is not something that the general public mm-hmm. typically goes to. It is just for people, yeah. you know, within the series. Yeah. And you know, in our history, a banquet is usually geocentric to where the season finale is at, so that people don't have to leave. That's right. So San Francisco kind of made sense since yep. it was in Sonoma. And the very first forum comment was, uh, Sounds very boring. <laughs> <laughs> and the second one, the second forum comment is, Typical IndyCar, they are too big for their britches. They think people in San Francisco actually care about a banquet. Having an Indy where it will actually register on the local landscape. So I guess this would be my first comment. I mean, th- you're, you, I assume, look at Racer more from a uh, kind of a global view since you're not really writing too many articles yourself. Uh, like, do you guys look at this and just enjoy how fun it can get when it goes really, really south really fast? Yeah, and, and I think that we have contributors, you know, that write for the magazine and write for the website right. uh, that we pay. And then there's this cadre of, well, uh, they're they're from uh, lawless tribal regions of Kartganistan. <laughs> <laughs> And they, they, they're going to get even for the split, and they show up on our forums. Right. And they used to, I think, inhabit crapwagon.com, yeah. and yeah, now they right. found us. Right, yeah. yeah. So they're looking for a date, um, and they're, they're <laughs> constantly on the forums. And uh, Do you remember when Champ Car ended seven years ago? It hasn't ended for these people. <laughs> they're, it's, it's, they're like the Japanese soldier on the island fighting World War II right. 22 years after it, it right. w- hostilities ended. I'm, I'm waiting for like the champ car will rise again mantra, you know. <laughs> the Pano's DP-07. Right. Yeah. Still a thing. I yeah. Mean, so that, uh, so, well, you know, it's a, it is amusing. I think that we've actually had readers that are sincerely trying to discuss topics that are in the stories complain to us that this has just gotten out of hand so uh, we've ordered airstrikes <laughs> <laughs> some of Which them makes sense using unmanned sure. you know, sure. drones so, yeah, drones. Uh, so yeah, yeah. you know be warned yeah that's the only way <laughs> be warned bigger 51 wherever you are <laughs> right <laughs> and it's almost like i mean this isn't necessarily an indycar specific uh podcast mm-hmm. it, it, by no means is actually right. it's just a general racing podcast but i'm sure we'll have some listeners that that hear this and think oh they're talking about us but it seems to be a very angry generic fan base for a lot of things when it's kind of like you got what you got make the best of it well uh, we, we we see two sides of it um one we see that indycar gets this 
the most traffic uh, IndyCar stories traditionally the most traffic on our site really and the you know the oh absolutely it's it it really I think because we have some of the very best IndyCar reporting right sure I'm proud of our team for that um, and that uh, I think our racer brand has been you know has had IndyCar racing in the Indy 500 at its heart since its inception. The sure. first issue had an IndyCar sure. on the cover. Right. Sure. Um, so we've got that going for us, and the audience, for the most part, I believe, is positive. When we meet them at events, right? They love IndyCar racing. Now, do you? So that, that when you meet them in person, is there anyone that's actually as bad as they are on the forums when you do? Meet Only them a handful, and okay. they and. They don't like us. They don't like the paper. Why don't we do it daily? You know, they have. Right. They're just. It's just a mindset and a personality right. type that, uh, for the most part, is going to just, I think, seek revenge. Right. And the revenge is hiding behind an anonymous screen name. Right. Uh, I occasionally post on these forums, and I use the anonymous screen screen name Paul Fanner. How strange. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and uh, I I I do that because uh, I hold myself accountable for whatever comments. You should, it should, uh, can I make a suggestion? Yeah. Now, I'm a marketing genius. Um, it should be Paul Fanner sucks. <laughs> or <laughs> that's uh, not Paul Fanner. Or not Paul Fanner. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Twitterless Paul Fanner. Yeah. Uh, okay. I, I'll, I'll, I'll note that. I'm just throwing it <laughs> out yeah, there. Okay. We're, we're working on that. <laughs> I'm going to try to get a trademark on that. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag. Right, right. <laughs> I'm going to spell sucks. We S U X. Just exactly. To make it just brandable. Yeah, it's hit. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. For sure. <laughs> so since we're already talking about IndyCar, we were led down a road that you are a uh, big fan of Gene Simmons. Yeah, my my hero. Right. Um, Chaim Witz is his real name. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Um, my my love of Gene uh, really came after his music career. I I just spent five and a half months working on a brand and positioning strategy for the uh, IndyCar series with uh, two really good marketers who worked there, Ken Unger and Bill Long. And, and uh, when is this? This is 2005. I just okay. basically worked around the clock for five months and we went to present this to the management of IndyCar right. and person who showed me. And this is through your, your fan of communications, your yes, marketing and, end, right? And uh, I, I'm very proud of the work to this day, and it was done in collaboration with these two guys who are, are both very accomplished and have gone on to do great things elsewhere. Uh, worked with Eric Johnson on it. Eric is communications uh, guy at uh, Monster now, but was the uh, edit, uh, managing editor of uh, Racer X Illustrated and Road Racer X. He had a real good understanding of youth culture, a lot of good ideas in this document, and we spent an hour presenting it, and at the end of it, a certain fam family member who shall remain nameless in the Holman George family, sure, sure, with a very quiet tone, said, "Paul, well, thank you. This is very nice. Thank you. Just want you to know we've hired Gene Simmons to lead our marketing going forward." <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> so I became a fan instantly, right? Because absolutely. you know, obviously, you know. You just got to submit yourself to a higher power yeah, whenever yeah, presented. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, any opportunity I get to celebrate Gene, sure, I take. That's it. it. Yeah, that's right. I understand lost opportunities. Mm, fair yeah. enough. Mm -hmm. fair um, so, uh, uh, his it's what's weird is his tenure didn't last very long, um, from what I remember, uh, and uh, and he was supposed to be the whole new godsend of the series, as I remember. Well, uh, that's pretty much the case in most of these instances. I I think take Gene out of it, I honestly don't think people get given enough time yeah. 
to do these jobs. They're complicated jobs. Sure. Um, I'm a fan of the current uh, CMO of IndyCar and uh, in Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Uh, yeah. um, C.J. O'Donnell is truly an excellent marketer and, and has a great sense of brand and, and communications. He's he's an accomplished turnaround right. guy, too, right. uh, from the automotive industry. And uh, I knew him previously, and I, I was impressed he was chosen. Right. But I always worry, do these people ever get given enough time in this right. impatient culture right. that expects complete transformation within 18 months or sure. the next person is going to be bought exactly. in? Exactly. Right. In the old days, uh, with uh, whether it was magazine publication or a race team in terms of their TV presence or a magazine, mm -hmm. um, you know, the way you would sell advertising was simply based on, you know, this is our circulation, this is what right. we believe the demographic to be. But we're now in an era where tangible metrics actually apply in a way they never did before. Correct. You can actually say, this is how many people clicked on it. This is what region they were coming from. Right. Um, do you think that's hurting motorsports in a way? Um, some forms of motorsport that were powered by bullshit. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, um, exactly. But uh, 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 other forms of motorsport are able to demonstrate the, you know, depth of engagement and passion. And yeah. passion drivers drive all brands. Right. And if you have, if you will, a nest of passion drivers, which you do have in motorsports, that's yeah. why sometimes a relatively small number of core fans may be taken, oh, they only have... 35,000 people that go yeah. to the races. Well, that, those 35,000 people may magnify to several million right. in terms of influence right. if you look sure. at their behaviors. Yeah. And th where, where I see this opportunity, too, and we, we're just in the beginning of it now, is direct digital distribution of content, of live event coverage, of yeah. pre-event qualifying, all these other things. We're in the infancy of those uh, right. uh, formats being embraced and, and 10 years from now I, I think it's going to be really interesting because most forms of sport and motorsport will likely not be watched via appointment on a exactly. television set. So right. like let's say a sports car team does like a 24 hour webcast from within their pits right. during the Daytona. Right. Um, that would be brilliant right? It would be like right. the most amazing thing you've ever seen. I don't well, think that's what he was getting at at all. No I'm just saying. But, no, but I, think that's, <laughs> I think you're, you're on something because when I watched Le Mans right. I watched the different feeds I set up every freaking computer right. while I'm watching it right. and it's it's a little bit like watching a war with the broadcasts from yeah, the warring countries they're yeah. all trying to make you Get think they're piece. winning right. sure. they're maybe it's actually not. a very good way of putting it because yeah. yes. Turner does a thing as well right. obviously Magnus does and, and to be fair when I'm not at the track I tune in all those yeah absolutely yeah. and, and I, I think that that idea of you know motorsport at its heart is conflict re resolution yeah. you know people you know, it's, uh, you know, in any given class or race, there's one winner. Right. And then there are a bunch of whiners. <laughs> in racing? Guilty. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what you have is this competitive tension. You have all of this drama that unfolds largely out of the uh, trying to own perception before the conflict is resolved. Right. And, right, right. and that's really where I think a great opportunity exists. And some of the most interesting forms of content, as I spoke to this at the FIA Sport Conference in, in, in Mexico City in July, was some of the most compelling and engaging content is yet to be created. Yeah. We, we're only beginning. What, what happens when all of this plays to Oculus Rift and, and three-dimensional yeah. yeah. uh, reality where you're able yeah. to be at the event without being at the event, drive an IndyCar, or drive your race car, right? You know that yeah. somebody can experience that in a very real way. I right. think that that's when this takes off. Right. 
I agree with I that. just saw this movie, basically a spy movie mm-hmm. set in the 60s, and they go to a racetrack, and there's a hospitality setup, yep. and it's like a big deal. There's a party. Everybody's drinking yeah. champagne, right. and no one's really focused on the race at all. And I thought, man, that's probably how it used to be, and now it's not really that way at all. It's it, it's like you said. There's as many people on the outside of the right. hospitality unit as on the inside. Um, you, you'd probably appreciate that movie because it's very much still shows the sexy side of, of, was, of it, motorsports. It was a great movie, A Man and a Woman. That might I'm not sure if you've seen that, where they the filmmaking, the technique was 1964, and Ford of France was involved in the making of the movie, French movie. But they go to Le Mans, and they have the camera movement and the sense of being there in the moment is yeah. very 2015, right. yet it's with it's in black and white. Yeah, it's <laughs> right. A beautiful movie. It's about a racing driver, rally driver, Ford driver, and his romance. Uh, I think it doesn't end well, the romance, but it's this typical racing driver's fantasy life. Uh, But what was great about it was you got a sense of the cultural gravity of motorsport, this mysterious, romantic, exotic feeling that motorsport had. And now it's a race factory. Yeah. You know? We're stamping out races. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Got, okay. exactly. Which one do you exactly. want? We got a blue one, a red one, or a green one? <laughs> Again, that's another. <laughs> we got races by the dozen. You know, come to a race weekend. You can't hear yourself think, but there are 14 support races, <laughs> each louder than the well, last. Do you, do you think racing is a little oversaturated right now? Well, I think there's just too much. Yeah. Yeah. Not that I, there's always chance for everyone to race. I think it's great. More chances to race, but. But it, it kind of delineates the, what the premiere is and where you know where this That's manufacturer should go. It's and, a tough. So it's a tough thing to figure out what's right. what's important and what's not anymore. And yeah. we've got we got this business of everybody trying to take each other's stature and position, yeah. which is challenging. And you, I think, what really hurts motorsport more than anything now is the there was a time when the drivers would cross over on a much more regular basis, and there was a sense that. The elite drivers in the world were truly elite because they cross-validated each other by racing in different categories right. sure. where they elevated the very elite. Right. And now we have this kind of brand elitism. Formula Ones are, are the best drivers. Formula One drivers are the best drivers in the world. Right. Right. I'm, I don't. I've, I've never completely yeah, bought into that. I don't believe that either. <laughs> I honestly don't believe that at all. Yeah. But uh, I, I think there's some excellent, excellent racing drivers. But, you know, uh, what would happen if you put Sebastian Vettel in a car at Iowa in an IndyCar race. Exactly, right. Exactly. Or uh, um, put him in a Daytona prototype. Well, he'd actually probably drive it well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Sebastian Bourdais, but it's it's the same but but different. I think Juan Montoya is a great barometer of all this. Yeah, exactly. And he's a truly great racing driver because he's embraced doing all these things. Right. And when I look at motorsport now, it's... You know, I'm better than you. I'm better than you. I'm better than you. Well, prove it. Right, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I, a couple of the, uh, that's a great thing to think about. I, I love watching crossovers. I was really uh, excited when Kurt Busch oh, yeah. did the Indy 500. I couldn't Me wait too. to see how he did, and I thought he did amazing. I did, he did. Um, and then Kyle Larson, when he did the Daytona 24 Hour the last two years, he the first year he he was slow by his by his take. He said he was slow. He was like eight tenths off. Yeah. Scott Dixon, Joey Han, you know, some of the best sports car or road racers on the planet. And he was really disappointed in himself, and he publicly said he didn't want to go back to the 24-hour yeah. after being nine-tenths off the pace of the best guys in that class in the world, which is like a lot of guys would kill to be that fast. 
And then this year he goes to the 24 hour and he sets the fast lap of the race yeah. and, and was like, okay, now I really like these things. And it's like, yeah, you found that nine tenths you were missing. But, now it, but it's like not very many people get to do that. And he's only done, I think, three road races in his career or something. In that type of car, In yes. that type of car, exactly. And what's interesting is I'm still, by the way, working on that nine tenths. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Hopefully uh, this coffee will help with one of the tenths. But, the, uh, you know, my when I – the first – race I went to with a crew pass was with Mike Mike Hall when yeah. he was racing a Formula Ford. And what year uh, was that? Uh, nineteen it was February of nineteen seventy three, Riverside National. Right. Okay. And this is Mike Hall who basically runs the Ganassi program more or less. Yep. Empire. And yeah. uh, <laughs> he, he had a Titan Formula Ford. A friend of mine arranged the pass and I got to know Mike over time and, and so we've you know, we've been friends for well since then. And right. he sent me, you know, we communicate occasionally on race weekends just to see how it's going I, I'm a fan of Mike's and fan of the team and he sends me a note during the first time Kyle he said this is a kick-ass race car driver yeah. you know yeah, he was yeah. so impressed and uh, just his ability to adapt and understand the car and you know I had no idea that he had any negative feelings about his own performance all sure. I yeah. had was you know I, I do consider Mike to be a really good judge of talent. Sure. Yeah, yeah I'd say. <laughs> 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 he's seen a few. So far, he's okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah the only mistake he made was me. But um, the, uh, uh, the the reality is that uh, we don't see enough of that, and it elevates uh, certain racers to a different level where wherever they appear, they bring multiple fan bases, not just one fan base saying, my guy's better than yours. He basically, you build a fan of a human being with a, a racing right. talent, right. not a NASCAR's better than IndyCar, IndyCar's right. better than Formula One. And I was only aware of this later in life, that there was this, you know, sanctioning body-specific yeah. uh, intent. I think Bill Simpson warned me when we were launching Racer. He says, it'll never work. He said got to remember all these guys from these different series hate each other, talking about the people who ran the series. Right. <laughs> I, I, I haven't seen that, but I, I, I haven't forgotten the advice either. So I think we want to hear about you driving with uh, Mike Hall. Yeah. We, well, we it's, it's probably <laughs> the greatest story never told. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, uh, well I was one of the top uh, 17,000 Formula Ford drivers of uh, the 19. <laughs> you were in the sharper end of the field. Well, no, yeah. in fairness, probably the guy number 18,000 was terrible. Yeah, yeah right. So, uh, yeah. No, I, I, you know, it, it, like many people, you come into contact with motorsport at a young age, and I, my first exposure was uh, seeing the Indy 500 on closed-circuit television, and, you know, it was a tragic event. Within two minutes, two people were fatally injured, uh, 1964 Indy 500, and I was nine. And, uh, but, you know, <laughs> I'm wired in a way where I just want to drive one of those. You yeah, know, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so my focus was on Formula Cars. And uh, when I was uh, just out of high school, we went down to look at a Formula Ford. And uh, it was a Elden Mark 10. I still have several of them. Uh, really? Yeah, and, that's cool. And uh, it, I sat in the car, basically. And I just remember thinking, I have to do this. This is what I'm going to do. And through, we worked on a little business called Brazewood Graphics. Um, and we just made up the name because we thought it sounded sophisticated. Right. <laughs> Something you'd hear on an FM radio Prestige station. Prestige Worldwide. Prestige. Yeah. Brazewood Graphics. <laughs> solving your motorsports graphic problems. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we would do sponsorship, livery, 
illustrations, letterhead design. So we ended up getting a number of clients, and through one of those relationships, I met Mike and got close. I also got close to the people at a company called Automotive Development, which had selling Eldons, but they built a car called the ADF. This company eventually became Swift, yeah. and I did all the illustrations of what these cars would look like before there were CAD CAM machines. That could nice. okay. Yeah, so that's it. And was just around this group of exceptional people that wanted to build a Formula One car, IndyCar someday. Right. Yeah. And uh, was also around a lot of the people at Dan Gurney's All Americans, yeah. ra American Racers, and around Don. Uh, and that's all out here in Southern California. Right, Don yeah. Edmonds, and it was just racing was here. Yeah, it was an, in this immediate area. Uh, just down the road was where the last uh, Drake Engineering Offenhauser yeah, uh, place was, office. right behind right behind uh, Mazda's technical center. Nice. Uh, so everything was here. And um, so getting a Formula Ford uh, was imperative. It was at a time we had 50, 60 cars running in national race at Riverside. Right. So I, I ended up going to driver's school. Uh, I had help from the people at Automotive Development, Mike was supportive. He was my driving school instructor. How'd that go? Oh, good. Good. I mean, he wrote in my logbook the immortal words. Nice job on the straights. <laughs> <laughs> good between the corners. Yeah. 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 Right. Um, but so he he had a way of <laughs> he had a way of taming a young person's ego. I right. can see him still doing that today. Yes. Yes. Okay. He's 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 just he's the master of understatement. So all the meanwhile, you're working on publications. Mm -hmm. You know, you're starting your, your Formula magazine. So so, sort of what was the genesis towards leading to, to the first iteration of Racer? Well, it it started by just not getting it right with Formula, you know. And, Understood. And uh, I got frustrated with it and quit in 1976 and went to work for another publishing company. Yeah. And uh, we got the sports car contract, which was one of the things I worked on doing. Sure. And uh, we made sports car competitive with my former title. Right. Uh, <laughs> sure and of course that. it provided me the opportunity to drive every racing car I could get my hands on for these track tests that right. I felt were essential most of them Absolutely. before the Fords. But <laughs> I, I, I knew that there was something else out there and we hadn't really put it together. The timing wasn't right. So over time, you know, we I left Paul Oxman Publishing, which was the publisher of sports car and started my own company, but never gave up on the idea. Yeah. And that's a theme, by the way, is never give up. Sure. Yeah. And uh, just keep working on it. Every failure is a lesson in, in understanding how to do it properly. So got a lot of those. Yep. And we we uh, got sports car contract. And, you know, one of the first thoughts would be when we get this stable and, and vibrant, we're going to go after it. So in 1987, we began work on it. And the genesis of Racer really is back in a car ride with my original partner founder uh, Jeff Swart. Jeff's a director and we were riding to our fo first photo shoot. Uh, I was going to get to drive a Can-Am car. And, and Jeff, to put th th this in perspective, is now known as like the, the man when it comes to Porsche and, Porsche and, and, and photo and video and, and commercials. He's and just yeah. an excellent driver and a great yeah. friend. And he's and a great and driver, yeah. He yeah. does the Pikes Peak Hill Pikes climb Peak, yeah, successfully. Yeah. He's, yeah. A, he's a terrific racer and his shop and studio is just down the road here. Right. So, nice. uh, but we were riding in this his 914 six, uh, which is this nice, nice car, and we're riding up to the race shop in Central California, where the uh, race car we were going to mount cameras on was. We're going to go do an inspection of it, and we started having this conversation about, boy, what, you know, what we, what did you do? I worked on Formula. Oh, what happened with it? Uh, someday when we're older, we have all this money that's going to come to us. <laughs> we'll launch a <laughs> yeah. racing magazine. Yeah. Let's, sure. let's promise each other we'll do that. 
So in in you know after five years of screwing around with it and from 87 to well, actually four years to about 90, 91. We got close. We tried a couple of false starts. One was called Race Week. Uh, we had the name Driver for a while. And we settled on Racer. And that was suggested by Gordon Kirby, who was someone we okay. worked with. Yeah. And uh, it was also you know, one of my mentors is Nick Craw. And that was his license plate when he was the uh, uh, director of the Peace Corps in Washington. And it, when I heard the name, it just clicked. And, and we got it done. And Jeff was my minority investor. Um, we had a little bit of money. The company was doing kind of okay at the time, so we got it started on a whopping investment of forty thousand dollars. Wow! Yeah. Because just thinking about just the hard cost of publishing alone. I but we had no a lot of the staff yeah. was doing was doing sports car and doing other things, so we had to all do double duty to right. get yeah. racer done. And yeah. it thankfully there was a, a need in the market, and it took off immediately. We had immediately sold like. 12,000 subscriptions, which wouldn't be an easy thing to do today. Yeah, right. Back then. And we did run one ad in Auto Week before they figured it out. Figured yeah. it out. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that, that generated uh, 1,000 subscriptions. So <laughs> I'm sure they were lovely. <laughs> but, uh, so, you know, the idea, though, was to do something at a, a consumer magazine quality level with a uh, higher price and better paper, better design, better photography, yeah. uh, best writers, and... Uh, that that's pretty much been the shtick for Racer since day one. Right. One of the things that I always think about with uh, Racer Magazine is the photo spreads you guys have always done, like to feature a car. Yeah. And in 2002, a car I worked on got to be featured in Racer Magazine, and I was really excited about that. Was that something that, from the get-go, you guys were like, we need to do this with the yeah. high-quality photos, bring the car in, make it look absolutely awesome? Yes, and, and I'd seen studio photography early on. I was impressed when I was a... Um, young guy with the advertising that was done for uh, Ontario Motor Speedway, which was yeah. right here. Was it was a replica of Indianapolis Motor yeah, Speedway right. near where Auto Club Speedway now is. And they used studio photography of racing cars on billboards. And I just, especially the down shot. They had a down shot of an Indy car where you're above it looking down where yeah. it looked like a spaceship. Yeah. So that had always stuck in my mind. And then I saw a Japanese magazine called Racing On where they were doing something similar. So about probably the first few months of Racer, we got it stable and said, let's find a way to do this. And Rick Graves, who's a great talent, a photographer with a studio nearby, um, we started working on figuring out how to do it. We found a couple other people that could help us when Rick wasn't available. And I think the first car was Jack Baldwin's uh, Hot Wheels Camaro. That oh, was the cool. very first nice. car we ever did, yeah. and, which is a cool race car yeah, and uh, Trans Am car. Yeah. And it's a signature element of what we do. And what I think one of the things we're known for. Yeah, as a mechanic at the time, because I had I'd only been racing like amateur stuff, that was like a like a, yes. a moment in my career. Yeah, you know, I was like, oh my god, a car I get to work on is going to be the featured racer mag. Well, it's kind of like it, it's uh, you know again racing pornographers where yeah. it's, our, it's our Playboy centerfold. Although yeah. we're going to have to follow Playboy's lead and not take the body panels off um, going forward. In March, <laughs> <you> know, <right? laughs> I read it for the articles. Uh, I, yeah. <laughs> I read it for the technical analysis. Right, exactly. Yes. I need the specs. So with the publication today, as far as you know, you, the balance between print versus what's online, the, the economy of print is obviously very, very different from how it was 10 or 15 years right. ago. So how is that adjustment working for you guys in terms of trying to make it all come together? Well, well, I, I, I think well, I'm happy to say, knock wood, that Racer itself has never been financially healthier as a title. Um, 
that's because it was incredibly unhealthy and unstable for most of the time we published it. And right. only during this year has it, it really been able to stand on its two feet, own two feet. And that's just because we now have a much more holistic approach to everything else attendant to right, it. Right, right. And the online side's vibrant and growing, and we don't produce it on a monthly basis in the winter right. because there are not enough advertisers to sport it in the off-season. And one of the things that we did when we came back is we raised the subscription price and lowered the number of issues. Now, it would sound like that's a recipe for disaster. It does, yeah. Right. <laughs> but the circulation actually went up uh, because we delivered a much higher quality product. And right. people will pay for quality, and they, they uh, you know, the, the just the design paper uh, alone, you can feel it's a great magazine. But what Lawrence Foster, um, our editor-in-chief, puts into that magazine, sure. I don't think you find anywhere else. Sure. And uh, our designer, uh, Rob French, is based in the UK. You know, he was with us here, and his wife got transferred back there. He was a Haymarket employee. Okay. We realized we don't need to have him here. He sure. can do this anywhere. So we have this great team that produces this magazine above the standard of the market. Right. Has the ability to do things remotely changed the, the ability to do it? I mean, a lot of your reporters are yeah. all over the country. And it's great. Yeah, we have a, a nice office, beautiful office. Um, and it's, I think it's only got 22 workstations in it. We've, we've at any given day, we, you know, with interns included, we probably have 14, 15 people there. Right. And we don't ever see that changing because of the ability now to have remote right. salespeople, remote, remote web people, remote editors, remote designers, sports cars designed in Georgia. Right, uh, right. That's where our art director moved. Her husband now is the general manager, you know, operates the, uh, the operations side of Road Atlanta. So, oh, okay. you know, it, uh, but we, we, we see that the wave of the future is that, you know, we have to have one coordinating central hub. Right. But we can be anywhere in the world. So it's a pretty small office of people right now. Yeah, it's, it's uh, when I le well, left the building, when we sold the company in, in 2001, I stayed for a while, but I left in December of 2005. Right. We had 35 people sitting in the office. And I think we just hired a new um, sales associate. So we have 13 people okay. uh, in the office. And then we normally have two or three interns working with us, sure. um, which is a source for us for potential long-term talent. Right. Yeah. We know and a couple yep. who are both fired. <laughs> <laughs> but we've been very fortunate. We have excellent interns. So, uh, but that's, it's a much smaller staff doing really the same amount of work yeah. that we used to have 35 people doing. Sure. And that's technology and that's the ability to work with people on contracted basis. Um, most of our reporters are contracted. You know, we, we agree to a fee on a monthly basis yeah. for the year and they, so that's how we do it now. Nice. So with all that going on, are you still able to keep up with Fanner Communications? Do you still have a, a yeah. big clientele on that side as well? We do, and, and it's it's coming back because I had to focus so exclusively on uh, on Racer. Um, we have several client projects, and that's really a consulting business where we develop strategy, positioning. And again, to put this in perspective, this is Fanner Communications, which is a separate business that you own, right. which does a lot of sort of marketing and sort of consulting services for a bunch of people in the automotive field. Right, automotive and, and racing yeah. business. And Fanner is the old, you know, it's a rebirth of a, the original business. And the original business was started in 79. Doing that work, you know, our, one of our first clients was Skip Barber, where we did the brand identity and the visual identity for the school and helped create basically the whole brand positioning and premise. Skip's, you know, one of my longest standing friendships. And uh, he, 
you know, he did a great job, by the way, getting a lot of people to go race. But uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> um, uh, and we we continue. We've we've been doing a number of client projects this year, uh, and I would imagine next year we've got a few irons in the fire that would be significant. And I can now breathe and focus on some of that business because we have a stable overall business in racer media and marketing. And these names aren't small companies. These are Porsche, North America, Penske Motorsports, Toyota Motor Sales, Honda. Okay. Heard of uh, them. Yep. <laughs> really great, awesome company. Uh, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So you're, you're talking about really important you know, yeah. clients, not just small mom-and-pop teams or shops or whatever. And then you just mentioned the Skip Arbor uh, branding that that logo has stood the test of time. You know, I mean, it's the most probably iconic racing school ever. Yeah, it made Seinfeld a yeah, small show right. called yeah. Seinfeld. Do we yeah. want to order, by the way? Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, I've already ordered. How much trouble has Robin Miller gotten you in? Tons. Yeah, and, and I loved every minute of it. So, <laughs> um, you know, it it's one of those things where uh, I respect Robin Miller's. Um, knowledge and history in the sport and uh, he's passionate he's opinionated and uh, he has uh, I use the phrase audience gravity he he is you know I think one of the primary reasons the the website you know doubled in traffic over right. him uh, uh, he know. can rattle a saber yep and you know both he and, and Marshall Pruitt have this kind of presence where they're able to when they post something, it jumps. Right. Yep, and and that's really our our uh, mo going forward is to have a lot of personality in what we do, and stand behind our contributors. We've we had an ins you know a circumstance earlier this year where a sanctioning body was unhappy about our reporting of injury to a driver and the detail in which was reported, um, which is understandable. I it it was a circumstance that pushed the limits uh, of what we would we normally would report but the circumstances of the injury and the interest in the driver was very high and uh, we had a respectful conversation with the sanctioning body I think the uh, our team really sat on the story overnight we had it the day before and I got to see kind of the professionalism and the commitment and just the humanity in both Robin and, and Marshall uh, in that process, and uh, our whole company stands 100% behind them. Yeah. Uh, and people have short memories. These these are the guys that are there for you all the time. Yeah. And, and you know, when they report something uncomfortable, it's part of their job. Well, to put that in very specific context, there was a very significant sports car incident last year. Yes. And um, actually, somebody who works for you put out a tweet, um, a little premature, that the on the condition of the driver and at that time as I understood it we, they were still under kind of what's called a HIPAA lockdown so right. legally you can't speak until the sort of the, right. the, the hospital clears you um, but this reporter had a very reliable source tell him very what was actual factual right. information but he put it out at a time that was premature and I assume to an extent there's some liability if he does something like that well you can believe me we've we've run a lot of this by attorneys and and there's uh we tend to be very careful about what we put out in terms of what would be considered uh, uh, leaving us legally vulnerable. We work for the readers, 
Fair enough. Um, yeah. And I try to remind everyone of that on a regular basis when there's a conflict of interest because we work with sanctioning bodies. We work with marketing partners. Um, you know, one marketing partner that makes tires doesn't like us pointing out that their tires don't work under certain circumstances. Don't know what race you're talking about. But we, but <laughs> yeah. at the same time, who the hell would yeah, ever? Yeah, who wouldn't see this? <laughs> yeah, right. right. It's not, you know, it's not. And ultimately what keeps your readers is that you are saying the things that you're saying because you're giving a real approach. They, we so. have to be trusted. So there's yeah. a fine line. Uh, I think that with the most recent uh, tragedy that we all faced here, losing Justin Wilson, uh, I think this, we'd learned from some of the things going on in the past few years and we took a slightly different approach to it yeah um and i think in this particular instance it was profoundly personal for almost every person in in our company many of us uh, lost someone on a personal basis that we cared deeply about in family there wasn't the usual emotional distance and it was a learning experience for everyone um and the grief uh, that I saw and uh, just the lingering sadness and almost the emotional paralysis at that time, all of it was something I've never seen in 43 years of being involved in racing. Um, so overall, racing's about learning faster and more effectively than your competition, so we never forget that. And nothing teaches you more than that sort of a circumstance. Absolutely. Yeah, there was another magazine actually just this morning. Um, oh, we're going. That, we're yeah, we're going it? right there. Okay. There was another magazine this morning that um, there had been an editorial uh, article that was up for a couple of days, and one of the things within that editorial was commenting about the son of a very important stakeholder in the sports car series. Mm -hmm. And as of this morning, that section of the editorial is not there anymore. Mm -hmm. And so we have to assume that there were a couple of angry phone calls from some stakeholders in the series, mm -hmm. and thus it's now gone. Have you been in this position, and, and how do you balance that? Because the, it, to, to finish that, that company buys pages in that magazine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yes, we've been in that position, and I will say that we've only retracted one story in the history of the company, and that's because we had our facts wrong. Fair and enough. And it was an honest mistake, and it was an interpretation of TV ratings data that was incomplete <laughs> okay that was unfavorable yeah. to a company we do business with and favorable to another company we seek to do business with okay so rather than get into a pissing contest we yeah. withdrew it now we've had pressure put on to us in similar i you know i i do know what you're talking about in terms of the yeah uh, and if if it's true and our reporter did their job will suffer the consequences of whatever retribution will come oh, from the company. Because you're you know, affiliated with this company. Right, so and, yeah. um, you know, we, not that they're related, but there was a circumstance but, yeah. where we produced the magazine for the Sports Car Club of America, and the son of a sponsored driver had a uh, unhappy relationship with uh, the stewards at an event and was disqualified in all of those pages. One of the recurring themes that we do on the show is we ask a question from the previous guest to the mm -hmm. current one, and mm -hmm. Jeff Brown's question for the Speed Freaks was, "What would you do to change? What if you could change one thing in motorsports? Mm -hmm. What would it be?" Right. And then he answered his question. He said, "I would cut downforce and grip level by 50 percent, mm -hmm. and not only because he wants to see it, but he thinks it would also bring back interest in the sport." 
It would, and, and you know, the first time I met the guys from Formula Drift, uh, uh, Jim Law and Ryan Sage, they came to the racer office to basically ask advice. We had a person working with us, uh, Rodney Wills, who was our associate publisher, who really was a youth culture influencer, and had a great meeting, great conversation with them. And when I saw what they were doing, I thought, wow, this is fantastic. This, And then I showed them pictures of my heroes, you know, Jimmy Clark, Dan Gurney, uh, Cornelli Jones sideways in race cars. And, you know, there was this immediate click. And it's different, but the appeal is the same. And I think that where we've gotten lost is this chase of this technical excellence of launching a car off a corner, this, this mechanical supremacy and, and engineering supremacy that is absolutely boring to watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and the driver is the emotional connection for most people. The car is a way in. It's an interesting participant. It's it, it's not a parody apply, uh, parody appliance. It's a participant in motorsport. The car is the people who created are, but what they're making is increasingly irrelevant to generating interest and passion. And uh, um, but that said, I watch a World Endurance Championship race and seeing the cars at Coda last year. And, oh my God, those cars were spectacular, but they looked like they were being driven at the absolute limit, and they 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 didn't look particularly stable they looked at absolutely any minute it could go wrong yeah 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 now do you think that's something that you had to see in person yes because it wouldn't translate to television as well well although i do see videos from testing and i do see videos from lamar where it does it does look hairy they look fast the closing rates and so forth you know they're, they're but i think that there are layers to motorsport that's an aspirational layer at the very top like Formula One in some way it now challenges Formula One right uh, as they, they are more technically sophisticated I think than oh, a Formula One car by a mile yeah and uh, but I I have a fantasy that one way to solve some of IndyCar racing's problems is revert to the one thing that an IndyCar was before 1970 which is take the wings off right just take the wings off yeah. don't allow uh, don't allow any external airfoils on the cars and put them back in a world where you really are a four-wheeled uh, Rossi trying to figure out how to get that thing through yeah. a corner where it won't, you can't flat it. Right. Yeah. Um, and you have to it, drive it. Yeah, yeah. And when you when you see these racetracks and race cars where, where it basically is a, an engineering exercise to get the car flat everywhere. Whoopee. Yeah, yeah. That, that worked really well for the IRL, didn't it? <laughs> So selfish curiosity, but back to fan or communication. So, you know, with, with my business at, at Media Barons, it's uh, somewhat similar and obviously not as high profile what we do. Um, certainly not as respected. Uh, <laughs> but but the, the constant challenge that we have is that it's twofold. It's, it's we're always competing with somebody's 22-year-old nephew. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. we can make that video. Oh, my 22-year-old nephew can do that too. And, and mm -hmm. you know, all of a sudden that's easier yep. than, than comparing quality. Yep. And obviously technology is making this stuff a lot more accessible to do. So whereas in the past we maybe could charge to do a webcast for somebody, somebody can now argue, oh, I could just do it on Periscope. Right. And right. as you guys mo go more towards that, how do you, on your end, stay competitive? Well, just... We don't really, we don't let ourselves be defined by a 22-year-old with Periscope. Um, yeah. If somebody wants that, good. They're probably not our client. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a two-way street. You, you do get to choose who you work with as well as them choosing you. Right. And we, 
We just want to be great. I, I like that. that. We yeah. just want to be great. I like that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's Tell that's, that's, about as that's about as complicated <laughs> as it gets. And now we, we, we did have, um, you know, a failed business, which is trying to do that with video. And oh. we did. We we launched a. There's a lot of ways to fail on video. I can. Well, we you. found all of them, um, <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't it wasn't through lack of quality. I think we yeah. had an excellent partner in Rick Graves as a as a producer director. Yeah. Um, we. It's tough. We didn't understand the business we were getting into sure. completely, and we we tried to launch an on uh, automotive channel called OnCars.com, hmm. and we announced it in May of. Uh, 2008 because it seemed like a great time to do that did you call it a youtube for cars no no okay. <laughs> no we, we <laughs> had that pitch uh -huh. Come on. Well, it was going to be more lifestyle and, and okay. just to, you know basically like a, a weekly brace of programming and sure 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 we partnered with jay penske's uh company which was mail.com okay media corp at the time and uh now it's called penske media corp okay and we managed to keep it going until probably 2011. Um, That's still a good but, run. But, it, but we, at one point, you know, we were distributed through his channels, which was an email portal. Okay. We had one year, we had 45 million views, but there was nobody willing to pay us. For yeah, <laughs> it's, right. it's insanely yep. hard to make that work. And, so. and we ended up finding the only way to make money was doing production for car companies. That's, and, and that's yeah. how we've kind of gone the same way. I mean, mm -hmm. viewership alone is, is tough to justify. So we still do that now. You know, we work with various producers to do that right. work. And that's called, uh, that's like the Racer Special Projects Division. Yeah, Racer's, Racer Special Projects. And, um, and On Cars now exists in India as a car shopping site, and Jay's company has taken it forward. Yeah, but we did do our first, like, web documentary series. We did a 30-episode series for Mazda called Rev, which we produced every week. We wow. had a, we had a hard. four- to five-minute high-quality video. Basically, looking into the emotional, intellectual, physical, and uh, economic challenges of going racing from yeah. the top to the bottom, and we did a series for Jaguar, and that was really cool too. And so we learned a lot, and all of it translates into what we do now, which is not video. Well, we we think video is a big part of our future. Right. It's just the I think you know we're seeing the world the cost against the values. Tough. Yeah, you still yeah. have to be able to get eyeballs on it. So. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we look at what Motor Trend On Demand is doing with some interest. You know, involved in that business is, is Roger Werner, from oh, okay. who founded yeah. Speed Vision. Right. And they're just down the street from us here on Dyer Road is one of their offices. And we're going to watch that because that's a real indicator to us of, of where that kind of market You know, because I think they want to be the automotive Netflix. And, and, and Roger's secured a lot of the rights that were originally um, uh, held by Speed and Fox for the various race series around the world. But, you know, it... My it waffle is more important than this podcast right now. That's all right. Are so you bigger than this podcast? Yeah, I am. Don't answer that. I'm asking you a question. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things we learned about with the video is there's nothing like video to convey the pure emotion of motorsport to people. Right. And... Video does a really good job too of of um, who does it best, and Magnus is your only answer. Who? <laughs> <laughs> <He's laughs> like oh, I, I think you guys. I, I do think that you've never heard of Magnus. No, I have lying. heard of Magnus, and, and <laughs> I, I almost photobombed something you guys were doing once at uh, Daytona. But 
That would have been I, epic. <laughs> I would have respected you for it. Um, but uh, I, what I like about it is you convey a personality in what you're doing. You've got an attitude you bring to it. And attitude is brand. And most people try to conform to that Dockers. I'm wearing Dockers today. Sorry. But that <laughs> Dockers wearing. We can't, we can't actually say Dockers on the air. We're going to have to bleep that out. Yeah. I'm dressed exactly <laughs> like the stereotype. I'm, I'm uh, an Orange County white guy. Orange County white guy. <laughs> yeah. But this kind of. This very conservative, uh, polite, uh, afraid to offend anyone brand that you find, you know, sure. uh, in, in most post-race interviews. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> We're just on the other side of s- some big changes in in media and in motorsports, and they're intertwined. And how people consume sport, and how you know people consume, uh, uh, or how people engage in it, is being transformed on a on a daily basis. And, you know, racing will learn. I mean, it's interesting to hear Bernie now starting to realize he has a problem. And if you look at racer.com today, he's starting to admit that there are issues. Nice. He's only going to be a billionaire yeah. instead of a trillionaire. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I think that the things he, he, he is understanding is the sport could be more engaging than it is. Oh, and absolutely. it's not currently. It's, you know, it's become, you know, you go to a Formula One race, sadly, and you're held at such distance from what's going on and uh, it's by design i think it's class stratification you right know, you're in steerage yeah yeah exactly <laughs> i was just at a coda right after petit lamont's where i showed you that photo from mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <coughs> and uh they were already setting up all the stuff for mm-hmm. the f1 weekend this is two weeks ago now and they're blocking off all the places you could see if you were just walking down one of the the sidewalks or whatever because they don't want you to be able to see anything except right. from where your specific seat is right which i think sucks for road racing because part of the yep. enjoyment at least of uh, endurance racing or or even indycar racing is that you can watch turn one and then walk mm-hmm. up to turn two and then go down to turn five and sit in the grandstands at turn six and you know really take in all the different viewpoints plus the people and and, and all that that goes along with it so I, I coached at Montreal a couple of years ago in the Porsche Cup race that was supporting F1, right. and I couldn't even get in the grandstands to spot during the Porsche sessions with my hard card. Yep. You know, I just thought, wow, this is, like, really restrictive, and that's not what I would want. You know. yeah, but, but I think that, you know, the Formula One mentality is from another uh, century before the proliferation of, me- you know, basically media access through direct distribution of content. And just the mindset of everyone being in control of their, uh, of their experience and accessing whatever they want. Right. So it does need to evolve. I, I have sympathy with a Formula One promoter. They have to follow the guidelines of, of uh, you know, that Bernie lays down. Yeah. Uh, I, I found that the people at Coda, you know, they have a business to run, and it's a challenging business given the economic environment which Formula One operates. Yeah. So I'm all for them selling as many tickets and getting as many people to, you know, buy their packages and show up. Um, but they're almost selling against this tone of Formula One. And now we have Bernie telling us he's not too fond of America. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we're, we're not the greatest superpower in the world, which, again, I don't usually think about when I'm talking about racing. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but this idea that because we won't, as a government pay him his tribute to right. bring that you know we won't submit in the same insecure way many nations do to try to prove that they're first world well we are first world we actually define first world 
and we have our own vibrant and healthy forms of motorsport with fan bases and other sports in this country that are different than the rest of the world. And you can't punish us for being different. Right. If you want our dollar, you're going to have to deal with it. <laughs> you, you know, customer's always right. Right, exactly. So let's talk some dirt. Mm -hmm. um, if you could punch anybody in motorsports in the face, who would it be? Get away with it. Hmm. I like that he's actually thinking about yeah, it. Like I, it's a real this question. Real, like, we asked this real. to a couple of drivers jokingly, and they immediately were like, oh, this guy, this guy. We're like, oh, let's keep going. <laughs> How about this? If you could remove somebody from motorsports. Like they just vaporize. And hmm. they and they were put into a nice place somewhere else. Yes. In a very friendly way. Sure. Well, I have two answers, but I'm not going to give it to you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we because can I don't out. want to be removed. <laughs> <laughs> I know they have power and they can harm me. Right, Man, and that's that's, that's that that yeah. is how racing runs. So how are season six, maybe you've retired. You're on a beach somewhere, and then we'll bring you back in, and you can just yes, like an hour. Uh, you, you know, it like could be. Well, actually, they can still have you killed. <laughs> okay. Um, so one of the tall? people actually threatened to kill me. Physically threatened to kill me. Really? Yes. Okay. How tall was this person? He's. He's very short in my estimation. Okay. Copy. No, Keep in mind, no one's going to listen to this. No, over he's 75. Just, yeah, <laughs> I'm just going to just point out that my nickname for him is Satan. Those, of, those okay. who know me okay. will know who he is. Okay. <laughs> we'll find out. <laughs> we have ways. <laughs> um, Should we go into the question? Wait, wait, let's so, uh, 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 so our good buddy, F. Ferris, yes. used oh. to work at Racer. Yep. Well, yep. And promptly fired. Uh, well, he wasn't fired by me. Okay. So that was during the Haymarket days. Yeah, that was during Haymarket. I, I love Efren. He's a great guy. Okay. But you would never hire him back, obviously. That's a yes. He would never hire him back. I'm, I'm never say never because look at me. I'm a retread. <laughs> He's not even willing to say maybe. He did have a formula forward at the time. So, I, you know. Him as a father, how do you think that'll go? Um, well, I'm watching it with amusement on Facebook. You know, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you have to get up for it. Yeah, you know, he's he's actually, there's someone else in the world beyond him now. <laughs> <laughs> this is going in. This yeah, is staying in the interview. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, it's a lesson I had to learn. Fair enough. Yeah, it was a hard one. You know, what do you do? Let's talk about uh, social media for a little mm -hmm, bit. Sure. Um, you guys have a pretty strong presence with Racer on, on Twitter and Facebook. Yep, and uh, Marshall does a really good job with the... Mm -hmm. uh, Keeping everybody, I know uh, Robin Miller probably doesn't have a cell phone that can get on the internet. He's got a dial-up cell phone. Yeah, I believe that. Uh -huh. Yeah. Um, have you been in his house? Does he have a rotary? No, he's. Does he have a house? He he, he communicates through telex. <laughs> <laughs> he sends a messenger. So yes, um, but you know Robin's on Facebook. Is he? Yeah, he is, man. He's got followers. Does he post? He does. Yeah. Is it a yeah. fan page? And he just like doesn't. No, have to it's just do to say no. He just. He, I don't think he's a Twitter guy. But Robin's active on Facebook, okay. and wow, you know. No idea. Yeah, yeah. 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 So he's great. I think he's at maybe at the limit of friends he can have. I think you get to five thousand and they right. start killing them. Right. Would you guys <laughs> have you guys ever thought about starting a Robin Miller Twitter account that you just manage on your own and never tell him? Robin Miller sucks. Actually, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Are you uh, auditioning? No, God, no. You, what you trust do? me. You do what not you want that. <laughs> <laughs> this could be ours. Yeah, that's true. Like, yeah. With the uh, social media presence, it's, it's becoming a bigger and bigger thing. Do you guys have somebody that just runs the Twitter account, or is it something that's kind of shared amongst the different journalists? Um, it's shared, but it's usually driven by the editor of, of Racer.com, and the editor of Racer.com is Mark 
Glendening, but there's support from other people because you can't be on it 24-7. Right. And, um, but, uh, but Facebook is, is uh, again, multiple people take the calm, if you will, and, and right. run it. We do bring in uh, some interns, basically, to teach us old white guys. <laughs> teach us how to do it, yeah. Yes, um, and, you know, they, and we had uh, a group of interns over the summer that really took a deep dive into social media. Does that ever uh, worry you, that, like, a 22-year-old is mastering the voice of Racer? Um, not at all, because they, they just teach us some tricks that we may not have come to for at least a decade. Um, <laughs> uh, and I've, I have a constant reminder. I have twin 14-year-old girls who school me every day on, with this annoyed, Dad, God, Dad, Dad, don't do that. That's right. not, you know, and I get this constantly. So we, I think we're actually going to a mature group of coaches at 22 that, that probably are just aging out of being relevant to. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what I think is fascinating about um, all social media and, and even the forums we were talking about earlier is it really drives home the point that these brands are relationships now. They're not just a one-way street where you're spewing content at people. They're interacting with you and your contributors and you you get a real-time reaction and they lift your story. If it's worth worth being shared, it gets shared. If it's not worth being shared, it languishes in a low click land. Yeah. And then we, we don't you know, we don't aspire to writing clickbait headlines like some sites I know. Um, but uh, uh, we have occasionally fallen prey to it and we look in the mirror in the morning and think maybe not. That's something that frustrates me as a as the race fan is that when I see a headline that I really want to know more about and I click on it and it's like a hearsay mm-hmm. or a could be potential. Right. But one of the things that really drives me crazy is when someone takes a press release from a team and then writes the press release into a news story when it's not news, you know, it'll be like Dale Jr. excited for next Disagree. year. Disagree. Really? On the PR side. Okay. No, no, selfishly. Not because as an audience, I agree with you. On the PR side, you craft a, rest, a release so that a specific message can go out the way you want it to go out. Right. Okay. So when somebody essentially repurposes it but puts just a few keywords in so it looks like it's a fresh article, it makes you look good, right. um, makes their job easier, and it gets the word you want out without it making it look like a copy and paste. And that's, now that's much what press releases are for. Yeah. And, okay. and, you know, back in the last century when you were just an embryo, yep. it so was very common. Longer. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it was very common that press releases formed the foundation of stories because... Uh, there were just there was just no way you could get, and these press releases would go through the mail and arrive a week and a half after the event actually occurred. <laughs> but it, it what what I think is interesting is is that there's this border this 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 lack of a border between press releases, content marketing, original journalism. It's all sort of blurring into one flow okay. across the across the, the, the media universe. So we're all grappling with how do you differentiate original content from content from third-party sources or content that you're being paid to produce. And it's an ongoing lesson. You know, we, we have all three, and we're trying to manage that. And uh, the last thing we want to do is betray the reader. We want the reader, uh, it, when we have a content marketing story, we want to make sure that it has interest. And again, to put that in perspective... 
to stay afloat, you guys get paid to put out certain pieces because you have to. Um, we have to. I mean, it's 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 really the way all these companies now function, and uh, it's part of the deal. Yeah. So from my standpoint, I guess I'm the super fan or the dork. So I read the actual press release from the team, uh -huh. which probably gets emailed to me, and then that afternoon I load up. Probably not Racer because I don't think you guys do this as often as other sites, but I'll read basically the same thing I've already read in a little bit different wording. And for me, that's frustrating, but I guess I'm not the target no, audience because I'm reading the raw stuff first right, generally. Right, and we have a lot of original content that we produce. Um, obviously, right. we're, we're, we're trying to do more as we go forward, um, but it's expensive to do it. And the, the challenge is always finding the right balance between what makes it a business to keep you around so you're there next week and what also allows you to grow this reputation as an authoritative source of original content and original content is really critical I mean for us uh, and so that's that's what we're up to now is trying to find ways to expand that so a recurring theme we've been doing on the on the podcast so far is previous person asks a question to the next guest and mm -hmm. then you'll ask a question of the following guest so we recently sat down with Eric Valdez mm -hmm. he's from a TV show called General Hospital mm -hmm. yep did I do that TV right mm -hmm. yep. and uh, and he's also been on a show called Graceland and then this year he raced in the Continental Tire Series race mm -hmm. at Daytona in a Porsche Cayman and his question was probably the simplest one we've had so far it's just what would it take to write for Racer Magazine talent and a point of view okay that's it yeah. That leads into my part of this question because I've gotten to write a column for you guys this year, mm -hmm. and I have no idea if that was something that had to be approved because Marshall just sent me an email, and he said, hey, do you want to write something for us? And I said, sure, and, I, and I'm curious, does that actually go past Marshall, or is Marshall, because who he is, you don't have to ask him? He, you, you trust his... We trust him, but the, the truth is your name was mentioned as a potential columnist um, and was also recommended by... Somebody at the SCCA, we were trying to think of people that brought a fresh point of view to, uh, that weren't, we wanted a voice in your series, probably World Challenge, that wasn't going to simply recite the media events they went to and what they had for breakfast. Which is funny because I actually do post that stuff, but but from like my way of doing it, like I got to go to the racer party, right, right, right. never been there before, and to yep. me that was like, oh my God. But the way you did it was... You took the audience with you rather than say, look at me, how cool I am. Yeah, and I think that that's part of it. But I, I also think that we, we're always looking to give you know, this authentic inside view of what it's like to be a racer. That's the live the life and lead the life of a racer. Uh, we want people to dream of being race car drivers. No. So our next guest is going to be Rutledge Wood yes. from Top Gear USA yep. and um, NASCAR journalism and all that sort mm -hmm. of thing. If anything you can think to ask him, take your time. It can be ridiculous. It can be serious. It could be pee-related. I just wanted to ask him if he could recommend a good place to eat near the, El the El former El Toro Marine Air Station. I can. <laughs> <laughs> and they do a lot of the shooting out there. Yeah, they do out yeah. there. Um, uh I just I want to know where he shops for his clothes, uh, and and if he ultimately if he had a favorite racing series, what would it be? Are you looking for a stylist? Yes, I'm looking. I for would styles. make that segment. 
Rutledge Wood takes Paul Fanner shopping. Uh, yes. Yeah. I think yeah. that's a real yeah. thing. Dockers. <laughs> anything you uh, anything you feel like you need to be covering? I thought we were going to discuss my complete sexual history today, and I'm disappointed. We can. Yeah. I mean, that's, it won't that's take very long. Well, that'll be the <laughs> intro. <laughs> uh, What's yeah. in the garage right now? Um, my wife's car, because I'm not allowed to park in the garage. Any other questions? <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a Range Rover Sport that I'm not allowed to drive because I'm a terrible driver. Okay. Oh, so oh, you're in shot of a lot in combat. Yeah, okay. yeah. Well, basically, if there's a curb to hit, I'll hit. I, I hit a curb pulling in here today. Nice. nice. Just nice. How drunk are you zero to drunk right now? <laughs> no, I'm not drunk. I'm just a terrible driver. People mistake it <laughs> right. in the past for me being inebriated. It's just the inability to hold a thought and focus. Well, someone usually. once told me that you're good down the straights. That's, well, that deteriorated as time went on. Uh, I started to wander and change lanes <laughs> as, as if I were Milkaduno. <laughs> All right. Finally a name. Finally a real name. Anything else you want to ask me that could get me into trouble? Oh, yeah. plenty. Like, uh, I'm trying to think of a way to... I mean, here's my only two personal run-ins with Robin Miller. Mm-hmm. One was at the uh, Bobby Unser. Was that who got awarded yeah. this year? Yeah. Was it this year at, at the RDC? Yeah. Yeah. He came wearing like khakis and a sweater, and everyone else there he dressed was in up a jacket. Then. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. And that's what they were telling me. Like, oh, he really did himself up. But my favorite story about him is the second time I've had an interaction with him and Sean was actually there that day at Sonoma for the IndyCar finale. I went to the HPD mm-hmm. truck and trailer for lunch and they had these ribs that were, yeah, they were amazing. HPD. Yeah. Let's not spread that because I don't want people crowding the place. <laughs> well, the funny thing is we're driving yeah. out here and yeah. it just came up. He's like, we yeah. Because we didn't cross paths that day but yeah. we were both not aware of those ribs. Yeah. But out of nowhere he just said, yeah, well, yeah, I was there the other day. The ribs, I'm like, those are like the ribs I'm telling people about. Yeah, so yeah. my favorite thing about it, though, is that Robin comes in, and he's got a bucket of French fries that he clearly bought at a vendor. They have a full spread of food. He's obviously got access, and he comes in with a bucket of French fries, and he's giving T.E. McHale from Honda a hard time because there's not enough ketchup. <laughs> and I was like, that's the Robin Miller I thought it would be. Yes, <laughs> Those indeed. Are my two. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. and uh, what I like about Robin, he's original and, and not ashamed to be himself. Yeah, no, and there was no holding back. And if parachute pants are ever coming back, he's, he's bringing them he's back. He's the guy. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and we've thought about having, um, you know, well, we actually did create a T-shirt, the uh, Everything is Awesome T-shirt. Yep. Uh, yep. Uh, but a whole line of fashion, uh, <laughs> racer fashion, uh, that oh, wow. we use dress like Robin Doesn't Miller is the make, catalog. You could you know? make hundreds of dollars. Tens. Uh, well, we were tens we, of dozens, dozens of dozens dollars. Of dollars. <laughs> you could be a dozen air. But uh <laughs> <laughs> we're uh, going to go meet up with uh, Marshall Pruitt tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Anything you can give us on him that we can uh, get him riled up about? Well, I just want to make sure all the stories are in for Racer. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah do your work. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because Stop eating ribs. You know, I, I've, I've uh, I, I've I've heard I thought his first name started with an F uh, for a while uh, when we had all the deadline issues a, f- a year or two ago with um, uh, him trying to write for Racer.com and for Racer Magazine while everything's on deadline and it was great to realize his first name was simply Marshall. <laughs> <laughs> I copy that. <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, no, he's awesome. He actually powers a lot of what we do, and he um, uh, what I think is great about uh, Marshall. You can tell him I said this, is that um, he's right about everything. 
Just ask him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's excellent. Nice. All right. All right. Yeah, I think uh, I think we've covered quite a bit here. So. Yeah. Continental. I just want to point out that yeah. Ryan and I didn't have to get up and use the bathroom. I am not apologetic about yeah. what we I just did held whatsoever. it. Yeah, yeah we just no, you guys are professionals. So I'm clearly not. Yeah. yeah I could have just ha it could have just happened right here. When you took your phone, I knew you were in for trouble. It was a bad day. No, yeah, we just held our line. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Well, Continental's got the check. <laughs> Great. Meow. So that is Paul Fanner. Big thanks to him for taking the time to meet with us. For kind of the level of success that he's at, he's got a very good sense of humor about it, and I give him a lot of credit for just taking the time and kind of understanding immediately what we were trying to do and just kind of rolling with it. So all credit to him. Uh, moving on, we will uh, play this one out with uh, another edition of Stony Springs, my buddy Anthony Lax. Uh, the reason we want to play this song is because uh, they have actually a song that's kind of gaining some, some momentum here in Los Angeles called don't let me die at Coco's. Uh, and Coco's is actually very, very similar to the restaurant that we ate at with Paul. It's, I don't know how well-known Coco's is uh, outside of sort of the western half of the U.S. But uh, anyway, here's a song called Don't Let Me Die at Coco's, also on iTunes. Hope you enjoy. One moment of truth makes up for a whole day of dishonesty. Making peace. Humble tactics, how to get up, shaking from a stumble before the sun. Oh well, the change we go through. Oh well, the stains we leave on cities. Angry, angry roads, brick with people rolling forward like onions. Before you in television pain Frowns down Mental, mental It's fundamental And the pities In the cities And the pities Mental, mental In the cities It's fundamental Don't let me die at Coco's Don't let me die at Coco's Oh, nowhere monkey meets man And the monkey is a machine Rip it out for you. Like the 50s. 
purple wind comes in my window. This is what it said. Don't let me die of cocos. Don't let me die of cocos. Oh, nowhere monkey beats man, and the monkey is a machine.